0: Hi, everyone. We're here to talk about sexual assault and the Me Too movement. My name is David Birnbaum. Welcome to The Safe Space. With me today are Leila Mima Coleman and Farman Zaman. Thank you very much for joining me. I guess, what do the two of you think of the Me Too movement?
1: I think that it is great that it's happening now. Could have happened earlier, but it's a really good... Um, conversation starter and it's really making a lot of people aware of what's happening and starting a lot of good conversations right now.
2: Uh, When I first came across it on honestly through social media, um, at first I didn't know what the movement was about and then when I started looking into it more, um, overwhelmingly surprised at how many people were impacted by this and pleasantly surprised that it wasn't um, with all the positive reactions that people are giving and the amount of support that uh, this movement has created for a lot of um, women and a lot of men also reacting positive to, to it, which was um, really good to basically raise a lot of awareness about the uh, situation at hand and something that's just been progressing for a long time.
0: You mentioned you were a bit surprised um, at the number of people. Were you surprised as well
2: I was definitely
1: surprised and I I was honestly just surprised at how many people were willing to share their story and post it. I didn't post a me too story but I have stories that I could have posted but like for me I still wasn't there yet but it was really good to see how many people were and willing to publicly share their stories to keep that conversation going.
0: Mm -hmm. One thing that I've heard a lot of is that you know this isn't new for women. Women have been talking to each other about this for a long time, it's just finally now they've gotten loud enough that men are being forced to listen. Is that kind of, um, is that the feeling you get as well?
2: Yeah, so I, it is something that's been discussed within women. It's kind of like a, a untold story that we talk about um, with people that we're comfortable with, um, and as Leila mentioned, that it is something that should have been um, addressed a long time ago, but it wasn't. But now, um, now that it's out there, it's uh, interesting to say the least.
1: I think part of it too is now people are starting to feel more comfortable sharing because they don't think that the first response is gonna be, what did you do wrong? It's going to be kind of a conversation on why did this happen? And like that's very unfortunate that it happened. not either this didn't happen or it only happened because you did X, y, Z. If you say that, like you can't say that now, and that's never should be someone's first response, But it was like five, ten years ago.
0: It used to be such a culture of victim blaming, right? If someone came forward, it was like, well, you must have put yourself in that situation, which is just so absurd. You know, there's many, you know, commentaries on the internet around, If someone got assaulted and you're like oh well like were you dressing in a way that made it look like you had money like obviously you're more likely to get assaulted then and it's just like you don't treat any other crime in this manner it's so absurd to me that this
2: was I think um, the time the timing is um, it should be noted because as Leila was saying if this was brought up um, maybe 5-10 years ago then our like as a society we would have reacted I think very poorly to the situation which would have pushed everyone back further being like I can't come forward and that is what was happening before anyone who spoke out were kind of um, they were put down and um, in a way that their issue wasn't important um, and it wasn't acknowledged whereas now when someone comes out I think we've grown generally to the point where we're more supportive and more sympathetic towards people um, and just like know how to deal with situations better for the most part um, in terms of how we would at least react so that they don't um, draw back.
0: Mm. One thing that I'd love to get your takes on is this you know the the spectrum of the Me Too movement right so it started really with Harvey Weinstein who did a bunch of you know egregious acts but now it started to talk about not just, you know, actual sexual assault, but harassment or even coercion. And so there, and there's some infighting among the Me Too movement, let's call it, of, you know, should it only be trying to root out assault or harassment too or, you know, all mistreatment of women and coercion. Um, for me, I, I'd love to hear your opinions on that.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that definitely it's good for, like, if someone has a very serious story, hopefully it was, they feel that they can report that, they feel like they can get help. But even if you have something that maybe maybe isn't against the law or maybe isn't something that is punishable by some act, people need to know how it made you feel and that you did not like that. And that's, I think, part of what, why the conversation is changing, too, is that people, people had no idea that women weren't liking things that they just did in their everyday life. But now women are stepping forward and saying, no, when you do this, it, we don't like it. It doesn't. We, as in, certain women, don't like things, and it really just starts making people more aware of how littleer actions have such a big impact on someone's day and someone's life that people weren't aware of before. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. For me, it makes it's this all. It's different sides of the same problem, right? To say that coercion or harassment. You know, they're not as bad as assault, but they're still bad. So to say they shouldn't be included, it's like, no, it's all the system of men treating women in ways they wish not to be treated. So Aziz Ansari, for example, was, you know, huge in the news because some woman said, you know, she wasn't assaulted by him or even necessarily harassed, but she felt very coerced. And you know, there was a lot of backlash saying, you know, you're trying to ruin this guy's career and, you know, you put yourself in that situation. But she said that she, you know, tried to make it clear to him she was not interested and he was still pursuing. And I think that's just kind of the the, the root of the problem is that men feel like they, you know, have some sort of need or right to, you know, actively pursue against a f- female's wishes.
2: I think um, one kind of example that's um, prevalent in a lot of like university culture or just like the bar club culture that I can uh, relate to on that is when if a female is approached and um, and say they're offered drink and they say no I'm not interested um, a lot of people a lot of men will still be persistent on that and um, and their intention is almost to uh, loosen the tension that's there so that they can um, act in whatever they want to and like follow through with it and I think that fundamentally is just something that like that's kind of like the point of inflection where it's just like this is like if I've already said no I'm not interested um, you shouldn't feel that you can persist and win Um, and I think that's like a key point in for men to identify, like, no actually does mean no. If this person is saying no, they're not playing games, they're not saying no because, oh, maybe I want a yes. Um, later, it's just like, I'm not interested. Like, And then that's when men kind of have to realize that this is where I should stop because um, I've, like, this is my line and I don't want to cross it.
0: Yeah, and not taking no at any point, right? Like, you know, talking about the worst cases of sexual assault and rape, that is, you didn't take no to that degree but not taking no and following them home not taking no and continuing to make comments or continuing to hit on them that's still just men refusing to listen to the women right so i think it's like i think it's great that the me too movement is you know bringing up all of these conversations that i think are very important to have
2: i think unfortunately um even when we're not talking in terms of like um strictly romantic relationships I've uh, had uh, male friends who have sought advice and have made the statement, even now when like during this me Too movement and it's very clear that this movement exists, they'll still be like, hey, I'm trying to like pursue this female, but it's um, she said no. And for me, um, it's a clear indication that you don't move forward. I, I don't understand what you're asking advice on. if the if the girl's been very clear on saying that I'm not interested. Um, but for a lot of people um, that, that I know, they'll still follow through and they'll still be like, oh, I think, I think she's saying this, but she means this. But, I'm just like, but I, I actually don't think she does. She's, she's been very clear in what she says, and it's on the person to respect um, what's being said instead of following through with what you feel you think you know, because chances are you don't.
1: And I think that's par- such a huge part of it, too, is that people get kind of trapped in the fantasy or get just get in their own mind. So like with that Aziz Ansari case, they were in his apartment. She said no, like made it clear that she wasn't comfortable with what was going on, but was still there. So then he's interpreting that as, oh, like maybe later, like, why wouldn't she have just left if she didn't want something? But that doesn't mean that she just because she didn't want one thing, she didn't want something else. But it's, it's, it is so hard to distinguish those lines and it's unless you're very confident and have clear communication, which in that case too, there's it's not a fair power dynamic. So it's hard and like even more hard to be fully clear and confident in that case. So it's, it's just so hard to try and make exactly what you want clear and for both parties to fully understand without like... Both of them trying to be extra cautious and making sure they know exactly what's going on, yeah. which I, they should.
0: I've gotten to a point where I just try and explicitly ask, like, like, "Hey, I'd like to kiss you. Is that okay?" And it kind of like you know kills the mood, but I th- I think that's an okay trade off, right? But you know there is something you know something I've read about. It was actually a mayor in the U.S. whose wife said like you know he had pursued her. Fairly relentlessly for years before she eventually, you know, um, ended up dating him, and they've been married for a long time. And the the author I was reading, uh, the person who wrote this, was talking about how back then she would talk about it as if he was relentlessly pursuing her. Now she talks about it very differently. But I have friends as well who the male pursued the female for a year or more, and eventually, you know, they're now in a happy relationship, right? And it's you know how. I agree that people should take no for an answer, but there's evidence to prove persistence does work sometimes.
1: And that exact story has been kind of romanticized that this is the story that you tell at your 40th wedding anniversary, that you she started out not liking you, but you kept pursuing her, and eventually you got the girl, so you won in the end. So maybe it does work out, so why would you not go for it? Which is hard to accept.
2: I think there are, le- um, when we speak on terms of like levels, there are very different levels of this pursuit. Because for a lot of people with this romanticized um, story, you say, hey, so-and-so, um, they, they knew what they wanted and they got no for an answer initially, and then they uh, were persistent in what they wanted to achieve and eventually they got it and now they're happily married. So I should be able to do that too. But I think their story may be different. He, his pursuing may have been, hey, would you like to go on a date? And she may have said no. And whatever it is, maybe he just never crossed the line, but it was always like asking, um, which is significantly more different than um, other forms of pursuit.
1: I have one story that it was, it was so jarring to me in the moment, and looking back, it made complete sense, was I'd been talking to someone online, we eventually decided to meet for the first time. We were we definitely had a very clear understanding of that we both were interested, this was what we wanted, um, and had text messages, had everything to back up to prove it. We met, and the first thing he told me was, I'm not going to make a move. You need to do it so I can't get in trouble later. And I was like, Whoa. like, it was just so... Like, clearly he had been burned before, just was so scared of being accused of something later that he had said he was not gonna do anything until I made the first move and clearly, like, gave my intention. But maybe that's something that you do, you have that conversation right at the beginning and you know, like, there was no, after that, we knew exactly what we wanted, we couldn't go back from it, so. But it was very interesting to see that.
0: Yeah, and that's very interesting because, you know, historically it's been viewed in a negative light when the woman is the pursuer. And so men also feel like they have to be the pursuer. But that's kind of a shift that needs to happen as well. You know, women have every right to be the pursuer, right? Um, And that's a perfect example. But I think that's also a good example of how scared men are now, right? And so I've read a lot of articles of men and women saying this has gone too far already and that all men are vulnerable now. And you know, my response to that is good, right? This is women telling me that they have been vulnerable, too vulnerable for too long, right? And I think the fact that, you know, if a career gets ruined because of coercion, um, you know, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe this is the buildup that the dam finally burst and it's just, You know, the whole system is broken and we're changing it all now and I think it's a reflection of men not listening for far too long and women finally getting fed up. That's my interpretation of it. I'd love to hear either of yours or both.
2: So the, I think this is like a very good example of speaking for those who um, may not be able to speak for whatever reason. Um, because, for instance, if we kind of look back to the case of, hey, we're in, this, um, in, some, in someone's place together. And I think there we all have different personalities. Some women may not feel comfortable um, speaking up very abruptly Uh, in a situation like that they would take a more um, they may prefer to take a more passive approach and just um, decide that okay i need to leave but i don't want to be rude or whatever their personality is whereas others um they they don't have a problem with that then they'd be like i'm not interested like this is not for me and then they would leave Um, so in that in like just the difference between those two personality traits um, I think people who are comfortable just standing up for themselves um, or voicing their opinion loudly um, it's it's kind of this movement is really good for us to finally say that we it has been going on for too long and there's a lot of people who may not be able to speak but now that men are vulnerable it's good because now you won't um, step that line for those who prefer to take a more um, passive approach to it.
1: Yeah, and I think just men being more vulnerable now just makes everyone more conscious and more aware of their actions, which I know me personally, I was always aware of my actions. If I do this, what is he going to think? If I do, is if I say this, that means that he's going to think this, so I do this. And if men are now starting to think like that too, that if I do this, is she going to think that this is creepy? I don't see anything wrong with men starting to think that way and both parties trying to be aware of their actions and how someone else is going to be affected by them.
0: Yeah and I think one thing in terms of why men are vulnerable more broadly and why you know they're starting to be vulnerable in their careers and things like that, I honestly think they're unwilling to come to the table at this conversation. I think that women have finally taken control of the conversation around sexual assault and the only way i see men participating now is to defend themselves but i want men to come to the table and be honest cuz you know i many men i've talked to have still said they think this is overblown and that blows my mind because i have many unfortunately i have many examples in my life of times i have treated women completely in this manner and i think it's i think it's really bad but it's the Me Too movement that woke me up to it, and I'm trying to, like, (laughs) lead a very different life now because of that, and I think men need to come, like, you know, the whole point of the Me Too movement is women sharing their stories, but men still seem to think it's a tiny fraction of men that are committing these acts, and it's like, you know, almost every woman has a Me Too story, which means to me, almost every man has the opposite of that, you know, and I I've tried to talk about the ways in which I'm guilty, and I think more men need to be open and honest about that conversation. And that will make them less vulnerable if they're actually willing to talk about it proactively instead of just being so defensive. And if we want a shift, men have to be honest about those things.
1: And I think circling back to what we had talked about previously on if we're diluting the Me Too movement by including kind of smaller things that happened, I think that that's why it's good that they're included because men can't ignore those things because they can see themselves. Maybe there isn't someone who's made a very, a very bad sexual assault or done a very bad thing, but they've definitely done all of those little things. So by women sharing those stories and saying someone just doing this made me uncomfortable, they can see themselves in that and maybe that'll get them to reflect a little more than only publicizing the very bad stories.
2: I think a lot of people view this movement as an emotional act and um, not something that's logical. So for those people who don't think that this is like a logical um, movement, what you're saying about the people who think that, oh, this is only the 1% of men, um, I think it makes sense for them to look at the stats of saying, if so many women have been affected by it, it's not the 1% that's affecting all of that. Statistically, logically, that doesn't make sense. So just that really puts into perspective that it doesn't need to be the big acts that are um, affecting all these women. A lot of it is just the small acts that are very inappropriate or crossing the line that's um, causing women to feel um, vulnerable and attacked. Yeah,
0: and what, you know, Focusing on the Me Too movement, like as a whole, you know, it's kind of started this trend. People are calling it trial by social media. And you know, if women come forward, either anonymous or not, and talk about a man uh, having coerced them or harassed them, um, it has an ability to ruin their career uh, and ruin their public image. Is that like? you know, we're losing due process, we're being told, but they're not being convicted of, of a crime. There's no expectation of due process in the court of public opinion. Um, so, like, how do you two feel about this, these trends of, uh, th- on social media, what's going on?
1: I'm totally fine with it. All, uh, most of these stories are for people who are in their positions because either they're popular or they're, they're public figures. So it's not just this that it happens to, there's, they could go to a zoo and be seen like throwing, littering and the exact same thing would happen. So I don't think that just by people sharing their stories, I don't think that that should be minimized. If people don't want to believe them and keep following and adoring these people, that's totally fine. But when you get one, two, three, ten 10 people coming forward about the same person, if you're choosing not to believe all of them, that's up to you and but most people are then going to start to rethink these people and i think that then they don't deserve to be in the positions that they are and that it is good that it's being publicized kind of their personal lives
0: so one example in particular is patrick brown who's he was the leader of the ontario progressive conservative party and two women came forward and alleged he sexually harassed or or coerced them and his career ended overnight Um, you know, obviously politics is a bit of a different beast than any general profession, but you know, th- these haven't been proven, um, you know, there's that, this mentality of any allegation should be believed, um, but there, there is there room for nuance, right? So one of the situations that happened, as I recall reading it, Patrick Brown met someone at a bar, brought her home and dropped his pants and asked her to perform oral sex and she did, right? Perhaps. Uh, dropping his pants preemptively is too much, but if I bring someone home and ask them to perform oral sex, is that not about as upfront as I could be, right? It, it doesn't seem to me that he coerced her. Um, so I, I'd love to hear your opinions on that because that's you know, my first reaction. Well, so if, if, like, so if I, if I brought you home from the bar and literally just asked, hey, will you perform oral sex on me? What would your reaction be? Like, I understand that for some people it makes them very uncomfortable, but is it not good to be that upfront if that's what I'm looking for, right? So what is the nuance there? Like, what should I do if that's what I want?
1: And that's the... And that's why it's so hard because, yeah, when you put it that clinically and that bluntly, it's hard to understand what the woman would be feeling in that situation. But you don't know where they were standing. Was he blocking the door? Was she too drunk and didn't think she could get home on her own and this was her only option? Or she didn't, she thought, well, I already came home with him, I have to do this. And there's just, there's so many pressures and so many external factors that the fact that she stepped forward enough publicly to say, I felt uncomfortable, to me, I'm probably gonna bias towards believing her and knowing that why would she publicly go out and not and put herself out there just to ruin this guy's career? It doesn't seem worth it, so I'm probably gonna believe that there was something else going on that made her feel that it wasn't okay.
2: If you're speaking in uh, general terms, aside from the particular example, I think that um, I understand what you mean by "is there a shift in um, in the onus almost?" Because uh, the man is being very clear about what they want. Um, but I agree with Lea; like you do have to consider the surroundings. Like, yes, was she in the right state of mind? Was her? Was she, did she feel safe? Um, and if she was in the right state of mind and she did feel safe and there was the option of okay and no, um, based on her decision. And th- then I think like that's the onus is on her to decide, but if she wasn't in the right state of mind and if she wasn't safe and she felt that this was the only option, um, then it's not really a decision, right? She only has one option because she's kind of been pigeonholed into this and, um, that's a very uncomfortable situation to be in.
0: I think for a lot of guys that are scared now just generally and maybe it's good that, and they should be very upfront at the very start of what they might be looking for but you know there's something to be said of people still want the romance, people still want some sort of chemistry and it doesn't, they don't want it to just become clinical of like let's talk upfront but you know the dynamics at play are both individuals you know not to say, I'm not dismissing any of the allegations, but let's say Patrick Brown or, or myself. You know, how do I know what is going through her head in that situation, right? Maybe, you know, if I you know, pick someone up at the bar and in my mind she's, and she's free to stay over or not, whether we fool around or not, and I'm up front. If that's my, like, we can't communicate that implicitly. So when I ask for oral sex, you know, she could be interpreting it differently than I intended. So, like, it seems that men are losing any sense of the ability to have the benefit of the doubt, right? Um, And, you know, that's scary for men. I'm not saying it's undeserved. You know, maybe this is the the starting point and we'll find a new balance uh, at some point. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that situation because from my point of view, even being up front, I can't know how they're interpreting my messaging.
1: I think with that too, the if you're going to lose the romance, if as soon as they got to his apartment, he dropped his pants and said, hey, blow me, he could have said that at the bar before she was in an apartment enclosed with him. So that, I wouldn't say, is as valid an argument. Sure, if you're dating someone, maybe you do want to make the pretense like, hey, want to come back and listen to some CDs. But when you do get back to that apartment, you need to be aware that maybe she thought Listen to some CDs and you need to make sure that that she knows that that's a very valid option and not just Nope, you came back with me. We're gonna have sex now
0: I think that's kind of a I think that's a very good point is for most of the men I talk to their default assumption is if they're coming back It's because sex is on the table, right? And that's kind of I guess a flawed assumption obviously Um, but where is the again is there is there a balance of conversation there? If men are always assuming that, you know, I think women have, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, have started to know men assume that as well. And I guess that is a problem.
1: Yeah, I I, I will always personally lean on the side of I would rather we talk about it before we go back What what we both think is gonna happen and what we're gonna be okay with. And I would be okay if we lose a little bit of the magic because I don't think it's magic. I think it's slightly gross magic that it it ends up it ends up the same way. And if we'd had a conversation before, we could have talked about it and had better communication. And I think that, that I think that that's more of a holdback to the olden ways when it was always the man pursuing. And I think all of that is kind of culturally shifting and I don't think we've quite caught up to no one, it's not a big deal anymore if you talk about sex before you go back to someone's place.
2: So an interesting point that I wanted to bring up was this um, this magic that we expect almost in the beginning, right? So. Personally, I think it's better to be uh, very upfront in the beginning and say, hey, like, this is what I'm looking for. This is not what I'm looking for um, and kind of take it from there. But what's interesting is that there's always ways in which it's inappropriate, even if you've been in a relationship for a long time. Um, and in the beginning, I would always say that it's better to kind of r- ruin the mood and just be upfront and say, hey, this is like, is this OK? What are your thoughts on this? This is what I would like. Um, and it all goes back to having the conversation, talking about it, and yes, it might kill it, but it's better than making them feel uncomfortable.
1: And that's the thing with killing the mood. If it would kill the mood, it wasn't going to happen. So if it did happen, then you probably were on the wrong side of that line. And maybe it only happened because they felt uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, and I think these are, that's actually, I haven't thought of it this way before. And... It really now seems to me that it's men who are like worried about ruining the mood and women are like, nah, we would we would talk about it, right? So it's men who have, ro- and it's even in movies, it's the romanticization of the chase, of the pursuit, of winning the girl. And that's, you know, at a club, at a bar, or generally, right? And it's like, no, it's a partnership at any stage, right? Um, but... What do you think it says from, you know, obviously it's a great movement of women taking their voices back and saying this is a problem. But do you think they need to start more actively taking their voices like in those other stages as well? And, you know, we've seen that trend in our generation over older ones, but more so of women being uh, the pursuer or equal partners because it still feels like, you know, I should be chasing. I like, maybe it's because of how I look, but I don't get hit on typically. So I still feel like if I'm interested in someone, I should be pursuing them. That's are women still not comfortable enough to pursue, and where does where is that balance at?
1: I think that's such a personal thing for woman to woman. Some some definitely are, and would have no problem with that. But some people. And I don't think it's a woman or man thing. Some men probably really would hate, like they would much rather a woman comes up to them and say like they're the pursuer. So I think that's just a power dynamic within a relationship. I I don't think that there should be any more onus on women to speak up if they don't want something because I think, well, I think if you say no once, you shouldn't need to say no five times. It should be more clear. And I think if just everyone was... A bit more honest with what they wanted and what their actual true intentions were, then it would go a lot smoother in those situations.
2: I think there's um, that uh, topic is very uh, culturally based because, for a lot of um, in, in a lot of cultures, it's just you, you the female isn't meant to pursue. Um, the men and yes it does it is like very personality based um, but for in order to kind of like speak on that I think we would have to go back to how do we teach children how to behave um, so that girls don't feel like they're not allowed to pursue or allowed to chase so like if if a girl did find like someone attractive as uh, like as a young girl it should be okay for her to go and be like hey I think you're cute um, but I think that that's just something that hasn't really been, um, talked about and like people don't do that because it's always been like when you're teaching your child to grow up, you're like, Oh, you, you don't do that. That's, that's not feminine. That's not girly. And that's kind of like a cultural shift that we just, even though we're making progress, we haven't fully gotten there yet for everyone.
0: So I think those are all really good points and I want to bring it you know, back to the movement as a whole, I've read a lot about, you know, I've read a lot of articles written by women who are against the movement as it exists now. Um, And one of the reasons they say is they think it infantilizes women. Like, they say they don't need protection. You know, they can stand up to men. Um, And, you know, to me, it's like, okay, just because you feel comfortable, you know, they should have some empathy for the women that don't. Um, But I'd love to hear your opinions on on you know the infantilization of women.
2: I think that um, kind of speaks on terms of um, voicing for people who can't or won't um, be able to voice their own opinion. And I mean, I don't think it is. So I think it's more just like we're speaking out for women as a whole. And yes, a lot of uh, or some people are able to stand up for themselves and some aren't but the people who can should do it for everyone right so like they should they should um, really take get on themselves to be like I know that I'm able to do this but I'm also aware that a lot of women can't so I would much rather do this to help out everyone than just stand up for myself.
1: Yeah I completely agree and I think that if this movement is something that makes it so less women need to stand up for themselves in those situations because there's just less situations, what would be wrong with that?
0: I think we can all agree that this is a good moment, right? It's a good movement and it is finally changing the conversation. And I already kind of spoke on, you know, why I think men have to start being at this conversation and admitting what they've done. But you know, What should they be forgiven for? You know, as a teenager, I pursued girls, and it was kind of entrenched in me. That was, you know, the society I lived in. And I've changed now, but I think many men have times they've coerced women, they've harassed women, and they've maybe assaulted women. Um, You know, and so, for example, Aziz Ansari coerced that woman. Um, And there's many other cases, but at what point are we're going to be forgiven. I, I agree it's you know, a, a moment of reckoning across the board, but like, I really don't know if I'm like, you know, condemned for the rest of my life. If that's the case, you know, I did those actions, so that's fair. Um, but you know, if we agree that most men have committed these acts, and we're talking about how to move forward now, and like, what does moving forward look like?
1: Yeah, I can, it's, it's so hard, especially when so many people have so many stories, and that's probably why a lot of men don't want to share their stories, because they they feel that as soon as they do, they're just instantly vilified and they won't be able to come back from it with their friends. So I think as important it is as it is to make sure that we're supporting the women who come forward, if men come forward with a story that is not too egregious, Obviously, if they have done something against the law or something too bad, maybe not coming back from that except for um, a bit more time. But if it's more smaller stories like your stories, but they're aware of now why it was wrong and are willing to work towards admitting that what they did was wrong and to work on becoming a better person and making sure that it doesn't happen again, I personally would be willing to forgive people and making sure and I don't see what would be wrong with forgiving them and getting them the support that they need as well.
2: So unfortunately, a lot of um, small small acts to men may have a big impact on the victim. Right. So that's something that will like should be considered. But what again, like unfortunately, what's done is done, and in that instance, it's kind of. Like, um, I agree, like, if you really acknowledge that, hey, I've done X, Y, Z, and they haven't been, um, you know, illegal, or and they haven't, like, pushed all the boundaries, um, and they've been small acts, even though I recognize that those small acts may be, may have caused a lot of harm to my victim, um, and you really are trying to rectify those actions and are taking initiatives in changing uh, your habits and changing your behavior around people um, that goes a long way and I think that e- that will at least moving forward make women respect that man more um, in that sense however a lot of people do um, ic- acknowledge the movement but their actions don't change and I think that's something that's just like you're, you're really not learning from this even when you're acknowledging it. And that, I don't know if I'd be able to forgive that.
1: I think part of it too, is because it got so much media attention and the conversations are happening, that if people are doing even small things but inappropriate now moving forwards, I think that's gonna be a lot harder to get forgiveness and you're not gonna be able to plead ignorance as you could have if you for something you did five years ago when it wasn't as big a topic.
0: Yeah, and I think this is actually perfect because, you know, this is the conversation society needs to have now. For the first time, it feels that women are running the conversation, and it is the men who have to say, what am I allowed to do? What can I be forgiven for? But it's about men coming forward and saying, you know, these are the things we've done. Like, we've, we messed up, and now how do we move forward? And, you know, on that same note about... How we move forward, I think an interesting thing is, you know, let's call it you know, Donald Trump called it locker room talk. And you know, what Donald Trump said in particular is horrific. But I it's you know, just this past week, you know, I was at a hockey game and there were some bros on the bench who were talking about, oh, if if the female doesn't bring the what she was supposed to bring you, I'm sure she can give you something else, right? And there's still so much insinuation and so much stuff like that but you know on the flip side i make those jokes about my male friends as well right so if we're looking for a place of equality you know there is a balance is there a balance between how women treat women and how men treat men because you know football players slap each other on the ass um you know i have friends who do that too or who make you know lots of dick jokes and things like that Um, And, you know, maybe that's because men are just less mature. That's a possibility. But, you know, if I'm trying to treat women the same way I treat men, some women may interpret that as sexual assault, whereas my my male friends don't. So where does that leave us?
1: I think all of that comes down to context and knowing your audience. You can have a very candid, maybe not super PC-appropriate conversation with your best friend you've known for 10 years because you know that they're not gonna get offended by it and it's not gonna affect them. If you do that with someone that you just met who you don't know, I'd still say that that's inappropriate. Conversations have a time and a place and especially something like I wouldn't even, like it would, it would blow my mind if, to even think of like slapping like a guy on a butt, even if we're on the same sports team, if I didn't know them. But my best friend, I'll do that because she'll be fine with it and I know that. So it's all about context and knowing your audience.
2: And the, knowing your audience also goes back to a lot of people have trigger points and this is something um, that is with like with the mental health awareness. This is something that um, has been uh, has caused a lot more awareness. And when you know your audience, it really helps you, understand that these actions that like if I do this this is very inappropriate for this person whereas if it was with someone that I've known on my football team it may or may not be okay
0: mm-hmm. that's fair and I guess it's it is just about learning that context in you know the new standard that is being set um, but also in each, each in each individual situation but you know the way I view it is you know I've been assaulting women since I was a kid and I think that's an important piece is about you know this conversation to teach kids to not do that anymore so I say uh, I say in a piece I've written that you know when I was five years old is the first time I sexually assaulted a female because I chased a girl and kissed her and that was you know okay and that was even encouraged it was cute right So that's the lesson I learned at a young age, and you know, I've just seen that trend continue into my teenage uh, years when I was supposed to, you know, pursue people, and even into university, right? And so, you know, I'm definitely, like you said, anything that happens from now on, I am definitely to blame. There is no more pleading ignorance. But three years ago, am I to blame? Yes, I chose to do those actions, but... At what point was I supposed to just learn the system I was in was broken, right? Was I to blame at 16? Was I to blame at 5? And I'm not looking for a specific age answer, but I think it's about, you know, that education piece of this should have happened earlier, it is happening now, and you know, sometimes you do have to draw a line in the sand and, and move forward. But I think, you know, a very important piece is to use this to teach kids differently so the five-year-old knows it's not okay to pull the pigtails of the girl you have a crush on and things like that
2: so one key point that you brought up was the fact that you got validation um, as you were pursuing this girl um, which really brought back an example from a movie she's just not that into you where a girl in the playground a boy was mean to her and the validation that she received from her parent was that it's when boys are mean to you, it means they like you. And in this movie, they really indicated how that one comment had made her into the character and like built her personality to always think that when men are mean to you, it means that they like you. So I think that analogy kind of um, is something that I draw with what happened in your situation where the girl that you pursued, maybe their guardian didn't tell you that this was wrong or didn't tell her in fact they were like this is okay this is cute and validated you and made her feel like you should be treated this way um, which is inappropriate but at that age is something that was core to the upbringing of both of you guys Um, and as a society that's kind of how I think a lot of people play out we kind of lose um, sight of how important and fragile children are, and that what we say in certain instances really uh, teaches them certain habits or ingrains something in their mind that really develops develops them as a, an adult.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that makes me think of an, uh, a story I read about that it was a pair a, a, a mother was called into the a principal's office about her female child who. Had punched a male child in the face, and so the female child was in trouble. And the mother asked why she punched her in the why she punched him in the face, and it's because he had been snapping her bra strap, and uh, she kept telling him to stop, and he didn't. And the principal was there to reprimand the daughter, and the mother literally turned to him and said. Uh, Excuse me, like if anything she could pursue sexual assault charges against this boy, right? Like he's harassing her she asked him to stop and she took it to a physical level So I think first that in and of itself is just that situation is absurd to me that that could happen But I also if that was a two boys it would be treated so differently, right? If one boy is harassing another boy and he hits him, that's how it goes in right? so this this way of like yeah, that story just really, you know, surprised me that that is how things are.
1: Yeah, and that's with the people in authority. I'm sure that 10 years ago, if a teacher saw that happening, unless they're a great teacher, they probably would, it would have been that same situation. Oh, they must have a crush. They like each other, but that's not what it should be, and that's not okay, but all of those situations are so ingrained in our society that it's hard to break out of that and to f- know what and to kind of make sh- think that what you're doing is okay or to figure out on your own that what you're doing is not okay.
2: I think, on a positive note, when you do have a figure like this mother who does um, back you up it really also builds character in yourself. So a personal example for me is um, in elementary school, there was um, a boy who was behaving inappropriate with me and chasing me. But me being how I am, um, I knew that I didn't want this, so I tripped him. And then uh, when I went back into, (laughs) when I went back into class, like this was something that I brought up because I was just like, I don't want to get in trouble for being like for tripping him because he acted inappropriately first, right? So when I told my teacher, um, that was like a key defining moment for, like she could have blamed, or not blamed, but she could have um, asked me why I tripped him. But instead, when I went up to her and said, hey, this is what happened and I tripped him, um, she spoke with him, right? And he was taken aback because he's just like, what just happened? Um, But for her to stand up for me in that scenario was, very comforting for me to know that like if I'm if I know that something is wrong and I act on it um, I'm not going to be Blamed for it per se if it's not a bad thing.
0: Yeah Yeah, I think like I think we've covered a lot of great points in this discussion the one thing I want to bring it back to is the fact that you know this has been going on for not a short amount of time now and the amount of men who still tell me it's overblown. And like, I literally had uh, someone tell me that they think the odds of one in a hundred men having committed any of these acts is absurd. And I, I couldn't believe that. So, you know, especially knowing that I would assume most men in that room are just not aware. So, how do we, you know, encourage men to talk about the things they've done and to come to the table at this conversation because As much as it's great that women are controlling the conversation you know men are on the defensive now right and how do we get them to start actually realizing it and start actually changing
1: I think part of that is when someone does tell their story especially like you did the first instinct shouldn't be to tell them that they're a bad person and that what they did was wrong they know that or they wouldn't be sharing that story it's talking about how those past experiences can make sure that it never happens again. Because that's just a classic sign is denial. If you you don't want to believe that you could be part of it because you're scared. And if people are scared to come forward because of the backlash they're going to get, we're never going to be able to have that conversation.
2: When we were talking about this topic being amongst um, women for a long time, I think that if men want to have these conversations either with women or amongst themselves, um, it's that support system that needs to be there so that they know they're not going to be um, judged for it. So even in uh, like a locker room, if they're talking about this, I think it's on the rest of the team to act to react properly instead of Um, calling them out on something or um, being inappropriate back with them so that they receive that backlash and therefore the lack of support which will make them more resistant to the change.
1: But even not being too supportive, if someone says hey man I did this, being able to call out your friend in an okay way and say hey man that's not cool in a more 2018 appropriate lingo, then that's what's gonna start that conversation amongst the men as well. If you feel comfortable enough with your guy friends to call them out on something that you know, because maybe you've had a similar experience, is probably made a woman or someone else feel uncomfortable.
0: But um, you see how many women may disagree with those points, right? You know, what I read from a lot of people is that, you know, this is the reckoning and it's due any man, any man who has committed these acts, like let's rip them apart. And you know, you're showing compassion to men who have not shown it back for so long. So why why be so kind to me? Why be so kind to men?
1: And I think that's a personal decision. And if someone doesn't wanna forgive someone, totally fine with me and they can do that. I don't want women to feel like they have to forgive someone, especially someone who has personally wronged them. Someone like you, who I know personally, I know that you're a good person and I know that you've learned from your mistakes. So I definitely will also be more willing to forgive someone that I know and that I've had experiences with than some random person who I just hear about them doing something not okay and I have no, I don't know if they've grown and I don't know their story. That's hard to forgive. And so if women want to not forgive people, that's their prerogative.
2: And again, on the personality, it really, um, we really need to harness that everyone's experience is different. So if Leila and I are willing to forgive some people for some things that they have done, um, that's because our experiences um, in the past have led us to be this way. However, for instance, like some of my experiences may have been very bad and I, I can't forgive. Um, in those scenarios right so it really does um, depend on how you have been affected and everyone um, has likely been affected a very different way Um, and for some it's they can be they're able to forgive and others it's just they can't and that is totally okay if you're not ready to forgive because your experiences have been awful then you shouldn't feel like you have to forgive. Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I want to clarify. I'm by no means like doing this or writing that piece to try and you know get absolution, right? These are the things I did, and I think I'm just trying to start the open conversation. Um, but you know, shifting towards like the public figures, right? Um, it's kind of that same question. We can't know if they've actually grown. We can only see how they apologize and that kind of thing. So it is. It's very difficult. Um, But, you know, the sense I get online is that many people are not looking for, uh, you know, for forgiveness. So, um, and and I think, you know, many people will view the only reason I'm even talking about this is to get my own absolution, right? Which, you know, I don't want to be labeled as, you know, a sexual assaulter for the rest of my life. But I think, you know, I think 80% of men might be, and it's about moving forward from that. Um, So really I'm at this point I'm at a loss for words like is there a way to move forward like obviously any individual situations have to be handled on an individual basis but we're talking about society trying to have this conversation so I I actually don't know where we can go from here.
1: I think yeah and part of it too is that people who are in the public eye whether they like it or not are held to a higher standard and if the public doesn't want to forgive someone or doesn't want to believe their side of the story. Sucks for them, but that's what the public wants. And the public is whether it's that they're famous or they're in elected office, the public is the one who has the power to put them there and take them out. So if you weren't careful or did something that was inappropriate, you will be held to it because you are that public figure, which I think is okay.
0: Yeah, I think I, I actually agree with that and I think, you know, if they get, let's call it, swept up in the Me Too wave, you know, unfortunate for them, but they probably did, if not the specific things they're being accused of, some things. And if right now, society is saying, none of this is okay, I think that's fair. I think that's fair for their them not to be able to recover. I think it would be fair for anyone because, you know, just because it's relatively even doesn't mean it's okay. The unfortunate fact is we can't just get rid of all of the men, right?
1: And I think part of that too is how they recover. If they are able to recover and come back from it, and maybe it is that they are speaking out about things that they did in the past, speak about how they want to grow in the future. If they put in the work, it's not going to happen overnight, but if they routinely put in the work day after day, year after year, I don't think that there's many people that couldn't come back from some of the things that they've done if they show that they care and realize why it happened. Yeah.
2: And I don't think this is all just abrupt. If someone is accused of something, we're not just blindly being like, okay, off with your heads. It's it's not that. It, we are giving everyone a fair fair trial and it is still um, a lot more than some may deserve. And there is still that justice in it. It's just like, we're still giving a fair trial. We're still looking into what this was, is this valid and like, that's still going on. And then even after that, if we as society are like, hey, we gave you a chance and you're still a pretty shitty person. um, Then I think it's completely fair to say, we put you in that position. We don't want you as a leader because we don't agree with who you are um, as a person um, and take that power away.
0: Yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's perfectly right and that it is the public to choose who they want to support and who they don't want to support. And they can do that based on anything. And if right now that's you should not have ever treated a woman badly, that's true. You shouldn't have ever treated a woman badly. Yet, just because other men have, you know, that doesn't make it okay for you to have as well. And I think, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good point to end it on that, you know, This is, I'm very, I want to thank you too, honestly for coming out and talking to me about this. I know it's not an easy topic to talk about and um, I, I very much appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you, all of the women who have shared their story and added to the conversation. And I encourage you to keep doing so, but also for men to join in and honestly talk about their part in this. Thank you for watching The Safe Space. We hope to see you next time.